Father in heaven, be with us as we continue to understand and to seek to understand how we could um, deal with uh, the answer that you have for it for us to be uh, to the society's problems today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off by telling you guys three stories which are going to tie into the point that I want to make to, uh, in this, in this uh, topic, which uh, I've entitled A Society of Actors. Um, I'm going to draw the story so that you remember through bad artistry my point. What does this look like to you guys? Oh, don't say it yet, don't say it yet. Because I know you guys are going to say a fish. An airplane. I know you guys wish you could draw an airplane like this. No, it's an airplane. Yeah, it is an Airbus. That's a pilot. So, <clears throat> that's my airplane. I was um, in Detroit, and I was getting ready to get onto an airplane, and you have to go through, you know, security check. And as I was going through security check, um, I got in the line, and I got my bins, and I was putting my stuff in there, and then I see a line of just, like, pilots just come in. To, well, it, was a, it was a line of a crew. And the pilots come in, and I thought to myself, you know, that's fine. I mean, they got to fly the airplane, so they should be able to cut in line. No problem with that. And then they're coming, they're cutting in my line. I said, that's fine. You know, I mean, they have to fly the airplane. But what kind of upset me was that as a lady was reaching for the bin, the pilot didn't say excuse me or anything. He just grabbed the bin, didn't acknowledge her, put his stuff, walked through. And I thought to myself, he could have at least said, excuse me, or I'm sorry, I have to do it. You know, I have to fly the airplane, let me get... Didn't acknowledge her, just it almost seems as though he snatched the box, the bin, and put his stuff in there. And to my dismay, when I boarded the airplane, I thought, to this day, I think, it was the same exact pilot. And so I boarded on there, and I was kind of thinking to myself, man, this guy is, this guy is just rude, you know? And then I sit in the airplane, and this is where the lesson hit. As a matter of fact, this is where I got the title. This was a while back. I sit in the airplane, he gets on the intercom. And he says in his smooth pilot's voice, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to flight whatever, whatever, from Detroit to whatever, we're gonna be flying at this altitude. And he says, we just want to let you know how much we appreciate your service. And I thought to myself, this guy is an actor. Because so many other times that I board the airplane, I see the same, I, I hear the pilots, and they sound so nice over the intercom, but then when it's getting time to board the airplane and you're in the line, they're stealing your bins. And I thought to myself, man, this guy's not really as nice as he sounds on the intercom. He's actually just acting. And then I thought to myself, not only are pilots actors, but even the, not only is a person providing the, the service an actor, but also the people that are partaking in the service, they are also actors. I have a friend of mine whose name is Alden. He's a photographer. 
And this guy, I'm going to draw another picture here. I told this guy about a certain card which, is, which was introduced to me by my friend. And it is an American Express card. It's not just an American Express card. That's his name right there. It's not just an American Express card. It's an American Express Platinum card. It's the best credit card in the world, I think. I don't even know how I was able to get it, but I was able to get it, and, and I told him about it, and he was able to get it. And this card is so awesome because they have this, this type of insurance. It's called Traveler's Insurance. And if you fly a lot, they, they guarantee that your luggage will make it to your destination. And if it doesn't, they will give you, I think, up to $1,000 of, of credit to get your luggage. I was telling Dr. Chung on the way over here, I pray every time I get on the air, airplane, I say, Lord, please help them to lose my luggage. Help them to lose my luggage. And then they have this other uh, thing that is called satisfaction guaranteed. That if you buy a product and for any reason, any reason, you don't like the quality of the product, you can return it. And if the company doesn't take it back, they will reimburse up to $1,000 of that product a year. And so one day I went and I bought an iPod for my, my, my wife and I, we bought an iPod for our, my sister-in-law. And we got it engraved, you know, in the back, you can put their name on there. And she wanted actually a smaller iPod. So we said, this is great, we saved money. So when we went to the Apple store to return the iPod, they said, we're not going to accept the iPod because you already got it engraved. Engraved iPods are not returnable. And so I said, let me see if this thing works with the American Express thing, you know, because oftentimes it will get gypped by the credit card company. There's like the fine print. So we called them and I said, look, Apple won't take this thing. They said, sir, uh, can you tell me the transaction number? So I told them the day they found the transaction. They said, for now, we're going to take the charge out of your credit card account. We're going to call the Apple store and we will refund you the money irregardless of whether they pay us back or not. I got a call the next day, or a, a, I don't know if it was a call or a letter in the mail. They said, return the iPod, Apple will take it back. So we returned it, got our money back. And I thought to him, man, American Express is awesome. But then my friend Alden here, I feel he takes advantage of it. I mean, this guy knows how to use th those features, and he uses them very well. I hope this, this doesn't reach him. Alden Ho, by the way, is just a fake name. It's a pseudoname. I'm not re really referring to the person. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, not only is my friend Alden, an, uh, I can't say an actor, <clears throat> not only is the person receiving the service also an actor, looking only for their good, but so am I. And I think so are you. Don't raise your hand, because I know you're guilty of this. Whenever I get to stay at a nice hotel, if I'm staying there for a long period of time, like if I go to GYC, Wednesday to Sunday is a long time, I will go into the bathroom and I will take the soap and the shampoo and the conditioner and all the lotions, I'll get all of that stuff, and then I'll put it in my bag that night so that the next morning they'll come back and give me fresh stuff all over again. And then they'll put it out again, then I'll take it back, and I'm only using one for the whole week. But I'll take all of it and I'll put it back in my bag, and I'll do that day after day. And then if I see the cleaning lady and they ask, is there anything you need? I just say, you know, just a couple more shampoos if <laughs> you can throw in a little extra in there. 
So when we come back from traveling for more than a week, we have in my house right now, we have so many shampoos and hotel uh, and uh, uh, shampoos and conditioners that are this big, that have the, the Hilton logo on them, that every time I travel, I just use that thing. You know, I bring that and then I go to the hotel and I use that one while I steal the hotel's shampoo and I have my, I can sell it to you and I know which one's the best and I know which one's not, I don't, some of them like the quality and I don't even bother, I just leave those alone or I'll give them to guests that come and visit. And it hit me, we live in a society, we live in a society where we look after ourselves. One day I was kind of rebuked because I, I was traveling with my friend Mike and, uh, and I said, hey, Mike, you know, take away, take, I, I wasn't in the room, so I said, hey, can you, the, the cleaning people are going to come, can you please take the shampoo out of the shower so they give us new shampoo? And then he said, I'm not going to do that. He's like, that's like stealing. And then I said, oh, man. And he's like, you don't need it, Israel, just use the shampoo. And I said, okay, so I didn't do it that week, but I do it now. <clears throat> we look after ourselves. And you know what? When I take the shampoo or when I take advantage of the features that my credit card gives me or when I take advantage of the airline features that they give me for being a frequent uh, traveler or whatever, when I take advantage of these things, I tell myself it is okay because the hotel is accounting for every night that I will use the shampoo. The rate doesn't change, right? If they charge me $49.99 for the first night, they don't charge me $49.59 for the second night. It continues to be the same. So I say, I'm getting charged for the shampoo every day, so I'm going to take my shampoo every day. And that's how I justify myself. And I never care about, I never care about the fact that if I don't take a shampoo, that I'm actually helping the hotel to make even more money. The hotel is not on my mind. I'm not trying to make the hotel more business. I'm trying to get out of the transaction, whatever I can get out of it. I'm trying to take, get the most for my money. Isn't that right? That's the way all of us are. And I want to tell us during this session that the reason why we are this way is because of the way that we have been trained to be and how that, in the end, is part of a bad society in which everyone that lives in this society is nothing but an actor. Let me pause for a moment and read to you from the book Education something that just absolutely shocked me. <clears throat> now, this is talking about education and this is where it actually starts. It starts in education, formal and not formal education. True education, she says, true education does not ignore the value of scientific knowledge or literary acquirements. It doesn't ignore these. And that's why it upsets me when people say, when you go to Adventist schools, you're not receiving top-notch education because they're teaching you all, you have a Bible class, it's a waste of time. It says, it does not ignore literary acquirements or, uh, uh, or, or, or scientific knowledge, but, but, but above information, it values power. Above power, goodness. Above intellectual acquirements, it values, does anyone know what it values? Character, character. In other words, God's system of educating us, of developing us, 
had priorities, it was a ladder. And here you have scientific knowledge, you have intellectual acquirements, all these things which are good things, but it says there is something that must be above these things. And that which must be above these things is power. Power is more important than these things. I can be the dumbest person in the world, but if I was born to a wealthy family that owned some type of a large corporation, no matter how smart you are, you probably would be working for me, right? If my father or my mother owned some large, huge corporation and, and they own that thing, and you went to school and you got your PhD in chemistry, you would be making some solutions to help, you know, make perfume that was for my company. No matter how dumb I am, power sometimes is, uh, or power sometimes is more powerful, right, than scientific knowledge or even intellectual acquirements. And so it says, God values power more than these things. But there is something that he values even more than power, something that he values even more than uh, uh, intellectual acquirements, and that is, and that is character. You see, the power, the power can be used for good or for bad. Power can be used for good or for bad. Power can control scientific knowledge and intellectual acquirements. And so what happens here is that when God designed the development of humanity, he designed it that, yes, it would know, it would know things, but that more than knowing, it would know how to use power. So that with power and with, so that with power, they would know how to handle properly intellectual acquirements and scientific knowledge. What is, what is character? Character is the use of power. Character is how we use the power that we have for good or for evil. Evil character is a wrong use of power. Good character is a good use of power. And so God says, listen, I can always teach a dummy how to be smart, but how to convert someone, that's the hardest thing to do. How to teach someone how to not steal just to gain personal benefit, that is much harder than how to teach someone how to add. So here it says, true education does not ignore the value of scientific knowledge or literary requirements, but above information, it values power. Above power, goodness. Above intellectual acquirements, character. And then this is what she says, which is so true. The world does not so much need men of great intellect as of noble character. The problem with society today is that you have too many smart people that are reaching the levels of government or governance, I'm not just talking about governmental government, but just of running stuff without the character. And the result of that is, the result of that is a downward pointing in society and in the way society functions. It says the world does not need so much does not so much need, sorry, men of great intellect as it needs men of noble character. It needs men in whom ability is controlled by steadfast principle. What is character? 
character is when you have ability that is controlled by principle. That's what character is. So God says we need to develop, the most important thing is, to establish a box of principle. And within that principle, you can grow whatever it is that you need to grow. But all of the time, this will be under control. It will be controlled. It won't go wild. It won't go out of control. It will be, it will be harnessed and maintained. And so it says here, so true, character is the most important thing that is essential in order not just for a Christian to make it to, to heaven, but in order to have society survive. And we're going to go to that in just a little bit. It says this, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. That's found in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, 7. It says, True education imparts this wisdom. It teaches the best use, all right, it teaches the best use. It says it teaches the best use not only of one, but of all powers. All right? Teaches not just, it doesn't teach just good use. It teaches the best use, not just of one good power, but of all good powers. In other words, in the human being, there exists there exists in us many different powers, spiritual powers, physical powers, emotional powers, social powers. The best use of powers is to take every single one of these things, not just to a good extent, but to the best extent. That means that I have a physical power. My physical power can be used in many different ways. I can use my muscles to beat people up. I can use that, my muscles to beat people up. I can use my muscles, if I had some, right? I can use my muscles to attract the opposite sex. I can use it for that. Some ladies like men that are nice and buff, right? And I could get a bunch of girls if I had the figure of a model. I can use it for that. Or I can use my muscles, I can use my muscles to help other people if someone breaks their leg in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, I can use my muscles to bring that person up. Well, you're not supposed, I know we have Dr. Chung here, and I know you're not supposed to move people when you get hurt. I have to make this clear because he's going to talk to me on the way home on how bad my medical science is, right? So I, you can use your muscles to benefit someone else, right? What character does is that it takes your powers, your physical powers, and it finds the best use for those powers. It'll take your mental powers, and I can use my mental powers for many different things. I can use my mental powers to convince my wife that she is wrong, even though she is right. I can use my mental powers to do that, to get what I want. I can use my mental powers to humiliate someone that has gotten me mad, right? I can use my intellectual powers to create an atomic bomb and blow out another country. Or I can use my intellectual powers for the best cause, in the best use. You get the point that I'm trying to make. True character makes every single, every single power, it, it, it makes the best use of every single power. And then it says this, it covers, it covers 
the whole circle of obligation to ourselves, to the world, and to God. The first thing that we have to say is this, that there is a circle of obligation. You and I are obligated with the powers that God has given to us. There's an obligation that takes place. And the obligation is to God, to others, and to ourselves. To ourselves in that God has given to us these powers. God has given you a mind. He has given me intellectual powers to use those to come to the discovery and to the realization that God, in fact, lives, that he died to save me, and that what he has to offer me is the best. That is why God gave us a brain, so that we can make a decision to follow him. God gave us emotional powers. He gave us a heart so that we would love him and love our fellow men. God gave us physical power so that we would resemble him physically. So we have an obligation to ourselves. We also have an obligation to God and we have an obligation to others. And so what character teaches us is that we live not just for ourselves, but we live for other people and we live for God. What does that mean? How does that unfold? How does that play in everyday life? We're gonna get to that in just a little bit. But it says this, it covers the whole circle of obligation to ourselves, to the world, and to God. Now, I'm going to read to you this thing, and then we're going to try to unfold this, and we'll probably wrap it up then. In true education, the selfish ambition, the greed of power, the disregard for the rights and the needs of humanity that are the curse of our world find a counter-influence. God's plan of life has a place for every human being. Each is to improve his talents to the uttermost. The faithfulness, and sorry, and faithfulness in doing this be the gifts few or many entitles one to honor. In God's plan, there is no place for selfish rivalry. There's no place for selfish rivalry. What God teaches us is this. God teaches us first and foremost that in this world, there is a plan for every single person. And you and I need to have a realization of that in our minds, that there is room for everyone in this world and that God has a plan for all of us because this automatically eliminates the first problem in society here. It eliminates that first problem, that God has a place for us in this world, a work for us to do. Based on this, based on the fact that God has a work for us to do, based on that fact, we then disregard or we then uh, don't have to disregard the rights and the needs of humanity. That's the thing that God says. Know first that God has a place for us. Secondly, don't disregard the rights and the needs of other people. Third, don't have a greed of power. All of these different things, all of these things find a counter-influence. Why? Because God teaches us that character and power are the most important thing. And this governs the way we live. And then it says this, from the child's earliest years, it is an appeal to emulation and rivalry. It fosters selfishness, the root of all evil. 
thus is created strife and supremacy, and there is encouraged a system of cramming which, is so, which, so, which in so many cases destroys health and unfits for usefulness. In many others, emulation leads to dishonesty and fostering ambition and discontent. I had a friend of mine who studied in law school, and she was telling me that in some of our nation's top universities, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, whatever, that when you get to law school, people will actually go into the library and tear out pages, tear out, tear out pages that are essential for the examination ahead so that other people will not advance more than they would. They'll tear it out just so that other people won't get a, as good a grade as they get. And you ask yourself, how in the world does that happen? Not too long ago, we heard that our economy crashed. And I was frustrated because as I was driving down the freeway, not the freeway, but just down the road, we don't have a freeway where I live. As I was driving down the road, I look at the gas station a couple summers ago, and I would see the prices going up and up and up in gas. And at the same time, I would hear the news on how these CEOs were getting more and more and more bonus packages. And I thought to myself, why don't these CEOs get a pay cut? Why don't they just say, look, I'm going to give myself a pay cut so that I can actually lower gas so that more people have the ability to drive to church? I had church members that didn't have enough gas money to come to church. And I thought to myself, it hit me, because from the very beginning in life, we have been taught CEOs and the very bottom, the very scum of the earth. We have been taught that we are in competition one with another. From the very beginning, you go to school, you go to college, and you're being graded based on how you perform in accordance with the rest of your class. And so you think to yourself, I don't have to perform really well. I just have to perform better than everybody else. And so if everyone else is getting a D and I get a C, I'm still going to get an A at the end of the day. First of all, this teaches us that we are in competition against each other, one. And secondly, it lowers the standard of education. Isn't that right? I was, uh, when I was in school, I was taking a history class. And just so you know, just so you know, I have to make this thing here because we're in an academic setting. Just so you know, the reason why I was going to fail the exam was because I, was, I worked two hours away and I was running an evangelistic meeting, so I skipped two months of school. The teacher said it was all right, by the way. He said, you don't have to come to class. Just as long as you know the material, you're going to be graded on your uh, midterm and your final examination. And I remember going into the classroom the first time I went in class, and I sat down and I looked around and everyone was just like studying really hard. And I looked at my neighbor and I said, do we, have a, do we have a quiz today? And she looked at me and she said, we have our midterm today. A hundred questions. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And I thought to myself, there is no way on earth I'm going to pass this thing. No way on earth. I sat down, I started taking the test. And you know how some of the things you can just make up an answer? I was beyond even that. I couldn't even make up an answer. I couldn't even, like, come up with a fake answer. Like, I was just out. More than half of the questions, I couldn't even write something down the paper. It's just white. And the other ones, it was a 50-50 chance that I was going to even get it. When I got my exam back, 
I don't know if I got 18 or 28 out of 100. I looked and I said, oh my goodness, I'm dead. And I went and I looked at the uh, board. When I looked at the board, because it was great on the curve. And when I looked at the board, I, saw, I was scanning down and I saw I had a C. And I thought to myself, man, praise the Lord for freshmen. Thank God for freshmen. I actually had hope of, getting a, a, of surviving the class. And then when I went home, I realized, you know what? It's just so funny. When you compare yourselves with others, when you make others a standard, you reach nowhere near what God wants you to reach. Nowhere near. You compare yourself with the smartest kid in class, there's someone smarter than them in a larger school. And then you compare yourselves with that person, there's someone else that's smarter in the whole state. And then with someone there, there's someone smart, and it just goes on and on and on. And even if you were to find the smartest person in the world, they are so far from God's intelligence or intellectual abilities that you find you have infinity to go. Society has placed us in a place where not only are we in competition with one another, but on top of that, we are never to reach God's ideal for us because we never even try to aim for it. We're too busy competing with one another. And so, you have at the end of the day, CEOs that from the very beginning of life, they, they learned. I went to school in elementary school, I learned I needed to be better than that person. I went to college, I knew all I had to do is do better than that person. And, I, and I, whatever it takes to do that, I'm gonna rip pages out of the book, I'm gonna steal that person's exam, I'm gonna cheat, whatever is required. Then that person makes it into the business world and they do the same thing. I need to excel above every single person in my job so that I can become the top executive. And once you reach that status, then you say, I need to bring my company to the very top so that I can make it in Forbes list. And then you keep on going, you keep on going, you keep on going so that the world around you can be poor and you have no concept you have no care about what is happening around you just as long as you are set. Our problem, our economic problem, and any other problem that we face in society started long before these past couple years. It started when people, those people, started going to school. God's plan, how is God's plan different from that? How is it a counter-influence? God first starts off by saying, listen, there's room for everyone. Room for everyone. Because there's room for everyone, and because God is all-powerful, I learned something. I learned something. This is what I learned. If I'm going through school and I have a problem understanding the material, I know that God wants me to be a preacher. I know that God wants me to be a lawyer. I know that God wants me to be a doctor. Then I say, I'm going to do my best, and regardless of where I fall short, God is going to somehow, miraculously if necessary, get me to where I want to be. Whatever it takes, he's going to do that. And so I place my trust in God. I'm no longer competing with anyone else. God is working with me. And then when I graduate from school, I don't have to compete for a job because God has a job for me to do. It can be a mechanic, it can be a doctor. It doesn't matter. But in the end, what ends up happening is this. You have smarter mechanics and you have smarter doctors. You have, you have mechanics that have character, you have doctors that have character, you have CEOs that have characters. And what ends up happening is this. I go 
to the mechanic shop because my car is broken down. And rather than the mechanic seeking how much money he can get out of me for the job that he's doing, rather than seeing how much money he can cheat me out of, he tries to help me knowing that God is going to take care of all of his needs or all of our needs. And little by little, I see in society a picture of who God is. All along the way, from the very bottom of society to the very top of society, you have that same thing. I go to a hotel, and I don't take the shampoo just because I paid for it. I take it if I need it, and if I don't need it, then I save the hotel some money. And in the end, the pilots are no longer actors. The people that are getting credit cards, you don't just want to get a credit card because of what you can get out of, the perks you can get out of it. But you seek to function not just for yourself, but to make society a better place. That is what God intended education to be like. God intended education to be a place that understood I have an obligation to God, first of all, to reflect who he is. I have an obligation to mankind. My obligation to mankind is not to take all their money, but is to help them as much as possible, and God will take care of my survival. And I have an obligation to myself, and that is to strive for holiness, to strive for godliness. That is what, that is what education teaches us. There is something that is more important than knowledge, and that is character, which is the use of knowledge. Men and women in whom character is developed are men and women who have the power to literally change society, literally change society. And so what God is looking for, what God is looking for is not so much a new America, Democrat or Republican, what God is looking for is Adventism, Adventism. That is what this society needs. Adventism the way it was called to be, the way that God intended it to be. Adventism that has character, instilled godly character in all its people. And that's my challenge for us in this hour, that we would not neglect knowledge, but that we would never neglect character in all that we do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would instill in our minds the need to be like you in everything that we do. That you would help us to look at other people not as competition, as, thing, as people that we are working against, but as people that we are obligated to. That you would help us to recognize our obligation to you also. And that you would help us to use all of our powers in the best way possible to serve mankind and to serve God in everything that we do. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.